You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, and Cole Carmody, our fourth wheel is slinging drinks right now. At least early in the morning. Serving waters at lunchtime. But hopefully he's selling a lot of booze. Who knows? We're sponsored by The Fridge. Speaking of booze, if you have alcohol or party needs, make sure you stop into The Fridge Wholesale Liquor right here in Manhattan at the corner of Claflin and Westport. Nope. Got it wrong? Yep. That's right. Westport, right, Zach? You got it. Okay. Westport, West Loop always turns me off. I don't know. I'll never know the streets. It's across from a uh, taco place that will give you explosive diarrhea. (laughs) That's up for great advertising. The fridge located right across the street from explosive diarrhea. Yeah, that's not good. good. Anyhow, it's your questions podcast. You ask the questions as a VIP at Wabash Station, a member of Go Powercat. And if you're not, why not? It's time to subscribe, um, and then we answer for all to hear. Guys, I popped through the Manhattan Catbackers briefly last night, and it was kind of fun because Jerome Tang was there with his entire basketball roster with the exception of the latest edition who's still over in the Netherlands, David and Gessen, and uh, he wasn't there yet. He's not checked in, but they have seven players. And I got to just say this, and we were all kind of talking about all of us that were dealing with them. They just look different than K-State basketball teams of the past. They're long and athletic looking. They're all really good kids, which I'm not saying in the past there haven't been, but they they were really good to talk to, very polite. And they all said, we're all getting along great. Because my big question I kept asking them, and we'll have some of their answers on Go Powercat this week. Um, how weird is it to come into a program where there's not an established culture or roster? You only have two returning players. And they said it is different, you know, but they, they just kind of got to find their way. And as we record this on Tuesday, they were going to have their first on-court session with Coach Tang. They get a whopping four hours a week with their players on the court. The rest is all strength and conditioning. But he goes, I, I don't know how long we'll be out there, but I'm going to have fun. It's going to be fun having a team. So it was interesting. A great event at the Alumni Center there on uh, Anderson, but it was it was packed. It's all Coach Kleiman, a lot of other student-athletes. Um, they were having fun, so I had to leave. I, I'm opposed to fun. No fun for you. No fun. Now, honestly, I just got back from Breckenridge. Or we had a four-day vacation where we did like 12 days of activities. Which in this case, activities was alcohol, um, some of which was bought at the fridge, wholesale liquor. And so I'm worn out. That's it. I'm just worn out. I, I need a vacation after vacation. I need the post-vacation vacation um, where you go recover from the vacation that you really did a lot of stuff at. Maybe we should move on to the questions from our best station. Cole Carmody's got him since we were missing Ryan Gilbert. Loser. 
First question comes from Wildcat Pilot 88. What is being said about the race for QB2? Specifically, is Jake Rubley making any progress to push for that spot? Well, I mean, nothing's much changed since, no, there, there really literally is no race. I mean, it is Will Howard. And I think there's actually competition for one and two. I think we all know Adrian Martinez is going to start, but there's a lot closer, narrower gap between one and two than two and three and four. People keep wanting to propel Jake Rubley into a position he's not at right now. Um, and I'm not going to say he'll never be there. But as of now, between injuries and, and being on the scout team, he's just way behind. And that's part of the progression of, for some young guys. Uh, I think losing his senior year of football hurt him quite a bit. I mean, it's a, an ongoing problem with the pandemic. I mean, not only did a lot of kids lose their seasons, which would suck. Losing your senior season of any sporting event or any activity in high school when you're invested would just suck. Well, his, is, his story is even different because he was in Colorado. Right. And then transferred to Iowa, played like I want think like one or two, two games, games or something, and then and then like boom, you're ineligible. Yeah. Which is so weird because another um, uh, that happened in and I, Iowa was one of the only states that you know actually said throughout the summer we're going to play, and so Kansas ultimately played. But another kid, Arlen Bruce, who's from Olathe, he plays at Iowa now. He transferred to Iowa too, and played up there, and he was ruled eligible. He got to play the entire season, and he started as a freshman at Iowa, and he's doing good things. And you obviously look at Jake Rubley, different positions, but like, yeah, I, I think ultimately right now Jake Rubley is closer to Jaron Lewis than he is Will Howard. Absolutely, I, that's everything I'm hearing. And again, I don't know if this is necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, you have an established two quarterbacks. So it's not like we're sitting here without Adrian Martinez saying it's Will Howard and then who is everybody else behind him? Who's it going to be? You know, it's not like we're saying that. So I think for K-State's sake, that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, listening to Van Malone, you talk about the you were at the Catbackers event here in Manhattan. I was at the Catbackers event in Kansas City and Van didn't really talk about Adrian Martinez. He talked about Will Howard. He said Will Howard is going to push Adrian Martinez. They're, he's going to, you know, continue to get better. I mean... I, you know, Zach's talked about this in the past too, but like if Adrian Martinez struggles, I think he's got a pretty short leash, especially in the beginning part of the season. Yeah, I, would I agree. agree. I mean, if he starts showing his bad habits, uh, you can't just ride that like Nebraska did. We saw those results. I think K-State fans' obsession with Jake Rubley is just strange to me yeah. because it stems from Will Howard having a couple of bad games. Will Howard won his first start at K-State. It was a road start at TCU. He was leading a ranked team. Granted, there's circumstances there that K-State was ranked when they probably shouldn't have been. But Will Howard was leading a good team, and it completely collapsed because of the pandemic, COVID. You know, when you don't have guys, you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter if it was Will Howard. It doesn't matter if it was Skylar Thompson. Yeah, Will Howard struggled. He was, he was a freshman. He was a throwing a DJ freshman. Render, too. He was... <laughs> He was 18 years old in his first six months on campus leading a Power 5 football team to victories at the beginning of, his, of him starting at K-State. And everybody wants to look at, oh, they lost at Baylor. They lost to Texas. They lost, oh, they, they, he played bad against Missouri State in a win. Whoop-de-doo. They lost to Texas. Man, I, I just the obsession with Jake Rubley and, and thinking that Will Howard is not good enough, 
you know, right now to lead K-State is just, it's, it's bothering. It, it bothers me. And it bothers me that they brought in Adrian Martinez because they clearly didn't think that Will Howard was, was good enough. So yeah, when you look at it that way, you're like, well, yeah, maybe Will Howard isn't good enough. It's just, he's in this sandwich of just, just let Will be the guy and he'll be all right. I just, the, the obsession with Jake Rubel is just bizarre to me. I don't think that there's ever been a time in K-State history where people have doubted a quarterback so much than than Will Howard. I don't know about that, but <clears throat> I have problems remembering a time in history where there's been a third-string quarterback at Kansas State where people were more obsessed with. And, and granted, K-State hasn't typically gotten the four-star type quarterbacks like Jake Rubley, and I think ESPN had him at five stars, which I think we're seeing 24-7 is probably closer to his reality. Uh, he just he hasn't been there yet. He hasn't shown anything yet. You bitch about Will Howard and how he performed as a true freshman. Jake Rubley was nowhere being able to perform. He was incapable of doing what Will Howard did as a freshman. Just not there at all. Between injury and and lack of playing, it's it. And I don't mean this as an insult to Jake Rubley, but some of you fans need to back off your expectations for him because unless he makes market improvement, you are going to be really depressed when you see him play. If his decision making is where we've here heard it is, his arm strength is what it it has been showing, although we've been told his arm strength seems to be improving as he gets in better and better shape. But I, I just people are just obsessed with this kid and it's not really fair at this point. Next question comes from Wyatt Bowlinger fifteen. Predict one player for K State this season on each side of the ball that will have a breakout year. I think Malik Knowles is gonna have a huge year. Um because he's gonna be more involved in the offense and feel more involved. In some ways, Malik was his own worst enemy. And the fact that if he wasn't getting enough touches, he didn't maximize the touches he made. He just wasn't as locked in and focused as he needed to be. I also say Sammy Wheeler. I think Sammy Wheeler is going to have a a, a big year. Um, defensively, I think... Uh, it says one player fits. I, I, I know. Each side of the ball, one player. I know. Um, then I'll let <laughs> Sammy Wheeler on defense. There we go. <laughs> Move him to safety. I don't know. On defense, it's harder to say. I mean, because stats are less obvious, you know. But, I mean, I could say one of the defensive ends, but is it really saying that Khalid Duke's going to have a breakout year? Is that a breakout year? Or did he already have that? So, I don't know. I don't think he can have a breakout year as a comeback year. True. Yeah. I think if he if if Khalid Duke has a breakout year, he's the comeback player of the year. He's not a breakout player. What does so. what does Nate Matlack have to do to have a breakout year? Cuz I mean, well, you could say maybe if he doesn't get that much better, oh, his freshman season was his breakout year. That's when he played a lot and everybody knew his name. I think he had like three and a half sacks. If Nate Matlack gets doubles that, gets six, gets seven sacks, is that a breakout year or is that what you expect? It will be interesting. He's going to play a lot more. He's going to be more of an every down guy. Um, so he has an opportunity here. And that really, for me, it, if he wants to be a breakout guy, it's not going to be the number of sacks. It's going to be how he performs in the run game and how he can stop that because he's not a very big guy. He's going to have to really rely on his quickness and instinct to do some of that unless he's put on a ton of muscle mass here in the offseason. I'm going to say defensively, though, for my breakout player, uh, I'm going to go Josh Hayes. Uh, I, I was talking to Ryan Wallace, our own Ryan Wallace, about this, and he made the comparison that um, he could be – this year's rush east 
right? A guy who's came in, who's played a lot of football, comes in, adapts to a, a, maybe a newer role. Uh, I'm not convinced that Josh Hayes is going to just play cornerback. I actually think he might start safety. With all the question marks in the secondary, would you rather have a veteran who's played that position before be your leader in the secondary at the safety position or stick him out there at the, at the corner position where you have bodies, you've just brought in a bunch of new guys. It's a lot easier to recycle cornerbacks than it is safety. I think Josh Hayes actually is going to see a lot at the safety, see a lot of time at the safety position. So I'll go ahead and say he's going to be my breakout player on defense. Um, maybe a future draft pick. I think that could definitely be something. He definitely has the skill to do it. So um, that could be that could be something to monitor. And on the offensive side, it's hard just because, you know, how do you how do you measure breakout, right? You can look at stats for the quarterback, for the running back, for the receivers, but I'm going to go on the offensive line. Uh, I think this is the year that we see somebody like an Andrew Langang, uh, the redshirt freshman left tackle, come in and step up. We've heard good things about him. He's definitely going to see some time now. Is it going to be enough to break the starting lineup? I don't know. But if he's starting at left tackle and Cooper BB starting at left guard, that tells me that he's very good and he will be a breakout star for this offensive line. I agree with you on Josh Hayes. I'll let you have your explanation there. I'm also going to go to the offensive line, but I'm going to say Cooper BB, and he's already good. Don't be wrong. He's the best offensive lineman. I think he's going to have such a good season that he will enter the NFL draft. Right. That okay. is my prediction. I agree with that. I think moving him inside, more natural position, I think he could actually absolutely tear up the Big 12. He's, a, he's so fundamentally sound to go with everything else. Next question comes from Sko Cats. Did I say that right, Zach? Sko Cats? Like, sure. Like Sko Cats? Like Sko Gats? Hey, we tried. We tried. Okay. Uh, how many good football coaching years will it take for Colin Klein to get a money truck parked at his house in order to get poached by a quote-unquote better program? I'm assuming at worst eight wins in each of those years to be considered quote-unquote good. If K-State's offense tears it up next year, they're coming after him. Someone's coming after him. It doesn't take long for an offensive coordinator. If you show you can not only call plays but sequence plays and and maximize the talent on the field that you have, they're coming after you. So it will be interesting to see what happens. But with Collins' pedigree, not only being who he is and you know how cerebral he's regarded as as a coach, um, but being a Bill Snyder protege and probably one of the guys that's most like Bill Snyder. Let's be honest, Mangino, Stoops, Demel, they're not really Snyder-ish. They use a lot of Snyder philosophies, um, but they're not really kind of reflections of him in, in terms of their kind of calm, dry you know, nature. But Colin is. If he has a huge year as an offensive coordinator, uh, I can see an SEC school or someone coming after him with you know, $2 million a year to be OC. But I can also see some pretty good mid-majors coming after him as a head coach. I think he immediately snaps into um, a Mountain West job, uh, being a Colorado guy. And I just, I see people maybe really coming after him as a head coach. And I think it reminds me of Kim English a little bit, a guy that's paid his dues and everyone knows he's going to be a head coach. Well, someone like George Mason on the basketball side came and got him early and beat the rush. I can see that happen with Colin. I'm going to take that to the next step. I'm going to say um, two years. Okay, if K State wins at least eight games and their offense is at the top of the top half of the Big Twelve, you know they're building upon their program. K State once the new Big Twelve starts um, is 
a known commodity. They're a known name in the new Big 12. Uh, I think within two years, a school would come calling for Colin Klein. And the school that I look at is Colorado. Uh, if Colorado State wouldn't have just hired Jay Norville, the coach from Nevada who spent time at Florida State, um, I would think that Colorado State would be the perfect destination for Colin Klein to be a head coach. But I'm going to stay in Didn't state. they just also hire a new coach? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Are you talking about Colorado? Colorado. 2020. 2020 okay. was his first year after Mel Tucker who went to Michigan right. State. Um, he's 8-10 and 10 in two years at Colorado. If they are lousy this year and then they're bad the next year, again he's on the chopping block and that looks like a destination i don't know if colin would leave you guys probably would know that better than i would but it would be hard to he, he would he would have to think about that for sure i would think anyway yeah it's, it's interesting you bring those schools up i was just talking to a a head football coach who i won't name um last night that uh, you know <laughs> he, he mentioned i'd been in breckenridge and you know i joked that no matter where you go you can just randomly pick up the smell of weed like we're driving down the interstate we're middle of there's no town around and just the weed smell hits us so there must be manufacturing somewhere around he goes man i couldn't coach in colorado i couldn't that's just a whole nother layer of problems you'd have with your players like yeah i I get it so i can't imagine that might be something colin would want to put up with but if you're from there you know yeah true I mean, you could go to the Air Force Academy, and you're not going to have a problem with that. No, probably not. So Probably not. Is that where you were going? Were you going to say – you? it sounded like you are going to bring up another school. No, no. Okay, well, I mean, that's the only other school you could bring yeah, up. Yeah, that would be the only one, unless he wants to go um, to a down a level, but I wouldn't think that would be something he'd be too interested in. No, no, I don't. I, Keep an eye on Craig Bullitt at Wyoming. I don't know how many more years he has, but going with another guy that you know is kind of tied to that family – being, you know, Kleiman succeeded him, and then maybe Colin Klein might get interest at Wyoming. Is there any way, if North Dakota State continues to have success, that North Dakota State would look at Colin Klein? That's interesting. That's very interesting. Do you think if, Chris Kleiman would? If Ince gets yeah. a head coaching job, and yeah, I mean, it pays Something a lot think about. less. I think Colin's making more, or he would make more at K-State. I think he is making more at K-State than the head coach of North Dakota State, just the reality of the two levels. See, if they have a good year this year, I think Colin gets a raise to kind of stave off anything, because I don't think he gets a head coaching job after one year. I think he could get, you know, a decent coordinator job elsewhere in the Power Five. I don't think that it's decent enough that K-State couldn't compete with an offer to keep him. I agree. But after 2023, if, if he puts together two good seasons, yeah, I don't think there's any sort of money that K-State can offer Colin Klein to stay. And I think that Colin could probably get an upper coordinator job or, you know, a mid-major type of head coaching job. Well, you're also competing and dealing with the fact that this is a K-State guy, right? This is not as, as good as Scotty Hazleton was in his one year at K-State. Colin Klein is K-State. So if somebody comes to you and says, we want to – comes to Colin and says, we will give you $3 million for you to be our offensive coordinator, K-State, if they're smart, should say, okay, well, we're going to give you three and a half because it is a K-State guy. This is not somebody who is just – you know. I, I, now, we can sit here and say, is he worth that much? I don't know. But for what he means to the program, for what he means to the fan base, I would think – he would be worth it. The other side of the coin is if Colin Klein is doing well, that means K-State's doing well and Chris Kleiman is doing well. Let's say Chris Kleiman, let's say the Iowa job pops up or, you know, some other, you know, 
I don't want to call it a dream job, but a job like that where you say, hey, you know, maybe that's some some place that Chris Kleiman would like to go. Then you have Colin Klein right there and you can just slot him in and it's and it's not a problem. Staying on the quarterback topic, the next question comes from Fullis Nelson. Avery Johnson appears to revere Colin Klein, attends catbacker events, and does a podcast for Go Power Cat. Yet, he is uncommitted and actively visiting other programs. Will he ultimately be a Wildcat? Have you ever experienced a recruitment like this? You know, the way you word it, saying that he has a, a podcast for Go Power Cat, makes it sound like he has like a recurring weekly yeah. bit of... <laughs> Just talking about the maybe wildcat Avery yeah. Johnson, yeah, podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, Avery was great. Uh, I, it was kind of fun. I was sitting here, um, we ran it through our soundboard because Wally was at home and Avery, I was leaving for vacation, so we just did a three way call, ran it through the soundboard. It technology's great, it's just amazing. But I, I had my mic turned off and was just listening. And what a, I think he's going to be a wildcat now. I always need to put an asterisk with all of it now. And I mentioned this to Coach Tang and, and Coach Kleiman um, last night. You know, how much the NIL just kind of added another layer of complication to the recruiting process. You can be in really good shape with a kid, and some school comes in and offers some ridiculous NIL money, and boom, uh, you, you've lost. So uh, until it's over, I'm not going to feel 100% about it. But I think he's going to be a Wildcat. And I think he's going to be the first of a, a even more guys from Kansas coming to K-State. So we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But he's he's got his you-know-what together. He certainly seems that way. He seems to be doing his due diligence in recruiting without making it a spectacle. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people are down on Dylan Edwards for making it a spectacle. Everyone is a little bit different how they, they want to handle this. So, uh, But I, I do naturally being a very conservative person prefer the way Avery's going about his business and he's very straightforward and honest if you listen to that podcast it's you know on our if you're not subscribing to the podcast head on over to whatever your preferred platform is Spotify Apple I, I'm strangely Amazon um, just you're the weirdest I know but I've, I've got those that lady all over my house I can't say her name because she'll start talking to us and, and you so, know you can change her name I know. Topic. Well, I've actually got a, a a thing attached to my ring doorbell. Up, it's one of those little show ones that has a little video on it, a little camera, mm-hmm. um, a little screen, and and that's Samuel Jackson. Oh. So you have to wake him up with "Hey Samuel" instead of her name. Anyhow, I, I just I, I just think he's. If you haven't listened to it, he's just a really impressive young man. So go listen to that. Yeah, I agree. I think that. Um, this is it's it is definitely interesting because you throw into the factor of NIL and the recruitment completely changes everything. I mean, if there's no NIL, you know, if there's no NIL, if this is three years ago and K State's in this position that they are with Avery Johnson, would he have committed by now? I mean, there's no way of actually going into the mind of Avery and knowing. But from all signs, I mean, there it just feels like you know usually when there's smoke there's fire and you don't even have to follow recruiting that closely to to look at twitter to see all the tweets to see all the pictures to put the pieces together and you're like you know it it makes sense but i think avery's doing it the right way i really do if you say you're going to visit schools you should honor those visits and i know that when k-state fan k-state fans got frustrated going back to the antoine davis situation right it's like he went on all of his visits he said he was going to go on, and then he made his decision. 
I think that's what you need to do if you're a recruit in this position. I think Avery's doing that, and you're right. I think he's going about it the right way. Next question, staying on topic, comes from Eric Schneid. Last question of the first half. Can you think of a more important weekend for K-State football recruiting than the one happening this weekend with Avery Johnson, Joe Odding, and Manning, and potentially Edwards on campus as well? Oh, It's such a huge weekend to set a tone for the future of this program. I feel like if they really have a strong weekend, pick up some commitments, get some more momentum in recruiting, it, it can redefine where this program sits if you back it up with a successful season, which it's kind of been inter- entertaining to see people wake up and realize, hey, K-State's got a lot coming back. Oh, hey, they might be pretty good. I don't know how, what took them so long to get to that, but um, it's been obvious K-State was returning a lot. But when you're K-State and you lose your quarterback, it's the end of the world. And when you're Texas and lose your quarterback, it means you're going to be better. So um, I, I'm very optimistic about the season and the, if they can back up – if they compare great recruiting with a great season, I think it's going to redefine the Chris Kleiman program. I mean, you guys have been around longer for the recruiting aspect than I have, but I would find it hard to believe that there has been bigger and more realistic kids on campus at the same time than this crew that's going to be here this weekend. I, I mean, I think you can eliminate all the other guys outside of Avery. I mean, I think it's important to get Avery. And I think, you know, when you think kind of back to the, the last question, you know, experiencing a recruitment like this, I just, I feel like Avery is kind of this, I don't want to say generational talent, but just when you think of the grand scheme of things of just how recruiting has gone for K-State with in-state kids, especially kids that are highly rated in the past, it just, this feels like the perfect storm of, of, hey, K-State's finally breaking through with a Kansas kid that's a skill position player that's, you know, in the top 24-7 by 24-7. You know, it's it, it feels like K-State's finally about to get a win. And I think that's what makes it so important that, you know, it'd be great to get, you know, the rest of those guys. But with Avery, you know, you finally kind of crack the code and get somebody to stay in Kansas, that's that's a skill position player like he is. All I know is Taylor Bratt and Chris Kleiman better be listening to some Inter Sandman right before Avery like walks it. into the building because they need to be the closer and close the deal. I like that a lot. Like his walk-up song? Do you, do you know who was famous for what, running out to Inter Sandman? Uh, no. Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer oh. of all time. Yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, let me just say this as we close up the first half. You could feel the energy at that Catbackers event last night. And that's what, talking to K-Staters that have gone on this, you know, K-State athletic officials, that have gone on this trip throughout this summer, spring, whatever it is right now. The energy's way up. And I, I think Coach Tang has a lot to do with that because he kind of came in and hit all the nerves and um, reinvigorated a basketball fan base that's just been out out of it, just going through the motions. But I think also the optimism about football and everything going on with football, kind of quietly going about their business, almost stepping into the background this spring and summer to basketball, which is an odd thing. There's just great optimism about this entire athletic year, and it's so important that they get this right. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun year in K-State Athletics. I hope you join us at GoPowerCat. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast or YouTube channel, and you send Zach personal emails about how handsome he is. 
That's that kind of round out your K-State fan experience. We're going to take a break now. I need to stop talking. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Questions Podcast. It is June. It is June, and it's finally warming up in Kansas. But it's always got hot deals at the fridge. How's that? Uh, I liked it. Uh, but you I, want things to be cold in the fridge. I'd love to do fridge commercials, but do them like as like used car commercials, but for a liquor store. You hear me out. Yeah. Fridge commercials, but as pizza shuttle commercials. Oh my gosh. That'd be funny. They need to re- they need to shoot some more. You're pizza arrested shuttle. for drinking warm beer. <laughs> <laughs> be, awesome. be awesome. Don't I get a phone call? You do. <laughs> Oh, it's your questions from Wild Bass Station. That's what we do here. We answer it for all to hear, and here is Cole Carmody. First question of the second half comes from Euler Cat 2 Fitz. You have always been an advocate for K-State's early role, early role in integration. With the sad news of Vero Schweitzer passing, what are your thoughts on how his story could be told? I'm afraid most people don't realize the depth of the man, his character, and what he meant for K-State. He was one of the kindest men I've ever met in my life. Just a wonderful gentleman. I would have loved to have known him when he was uh, younger, you know, to know his personality as an athlete. But, I mean, he was uh, just so ahead of the curve and breaking racial barriers and then working in athletics and being a farmer and organizing black farmers and uh, just an amazing man, but very quiet and and uh, just went about his business. And it's a big loss for K-State, and he's much more than a name on the ring of honor. Uh, he really is a just a, a big pot of gold for Kansas State. We should never forget what he did and, and who he was because even if you didn't know him, honor him because he was remarkable. He, In some ways, even though he isn't the guy that actually broke the color barrier in football, he was our Jackie Robinson at Kansas State because he was the guy who excelled. Harold Robinson broke the color barrier, but you know he, he left. He didn't finish up here. But Verl stayed here. Went to the league, played a long time in the league, and came home to both Nicodemus and Manhattan and conducted his life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's amazing his legacy and the fact that all the history that is rooted uh, in K State, 
Um, it is, it, it's sad that, you know, for so long that a lot of this just was not talked about. Right. And, and I think K-State is, is slowly but surely starting to uh, recognize with it, with this trailblazer series. Um, but when I saw this, it, you know, it, it's one of those things to where you really don't realize how important some people are to others until they're gone. And, um, I think in Vero Schweitzer's case, I, I never had a chance to interact with them, but, uh, just you, you hear the stories and what these guys had to go through just to play the game that they loved. And it's, it's remarkable. The fact that he was able to continuously fight through the adversity and, and let's not forget, I mean, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right here. Fitz, he was the number four player taken in the NFL draft in 1954. Now I know was this this was before the AFL or and the NFL emerged? But as far as the NFL draft, that ha- is that he the highest player ever picked in K State history? Uh, Terrence, Terrence Newman, I think, is Terrence Newman before high but, or yeah, one of the highest players. Yeah. The point you make is so valid. I mean, um, he just he was a special athlete, and he was he was the K State guy who literally set the tone because he was a return specialist on top of. Playing defense and offense, mostly defense, but he uh, he was a returner, and that's you know such a big part of Kansas State football history now. But he was the first great one at K State. Special guy. Next question comes from I like pickles cat. Before you want to move on, yeah, go ahead. No, I want to add this. I um, I know K State's done a better job in the past year of honoring the Trailblazers, and they haven't gotten everything right. Um, but I don't want it to feel like something they just did in passing. And I know they plan on honoring all of the trailblazers somehow around athletic facilities. But I, I think there's so much more than a plaque, so much more than a, a, a head thing. I would love um, a donor, because it's way out of my league, to commission a statue of the five, six, eight people that we consider to be the trailblazers, whoever they they designate, and, and maybe put it at the corner of college in Kimball. Or maybe put it in front of Veneer or put it over there somewhere near the new practice facility. Uh, someplace where the public can go see it. I want it something striking. Something that makes a real statement like these people did. And not just a little area where people can wander by and say, who's that? But something befitting what they did at Kansas State. And, you know, life-size like Bill Snyder and Ernie Barrett type statues, but maybe all of them together in some kind of, I don't know, pose. I don't know what time to say it, but I, I, I want something striking. I want something that really makes a statement. K-State has been on the forefront, as our, our friend K-Net at Wabash says all the time, the forefront of integrating college sports with Milton Eisenhower, Eisenhower as president. Why do we hide from that? Why do we let people define this community and university as racist just because we have maybe lower demographic numbers than what we'd like? Because it's never been that way. It's a very welcoming place. Let's just put it out there. We have an all-black basketball staff now who freaking loves this place Mm -hmm. because everyone is so kind. Uh, I, I just think we accept the false narratives of outside people too often, and we don't say our honest narrative of what this place has been about through the years that has been at the forefront of fighting for equality. Yeah, it's a rural ag school, but it's also known as a place that that did do things the right way earlier than a lot of schools in this conference. 
And also it's a place where it's been honored as very welcoming to the LGBTQ community. So I, I just think it's a really special place. People just really care about people here. And let, let's honor the people that, that really set the tone for that. I think, right. I think your idea of statues is perfect. And to add to that, I, I just picture in my mind, however many you know people you have, you just call it Trailblazer Row. And it's it's just literally, I think, like the statues at Kauffman Stadium, you know, with George Brett and Frank White. But, I mean, even more of like a, in a welcoming pose, I, I think that's a great idea. And I think that, you know, you're right. We shouldn't hide from the good history that K-State yeah, has. And we do. I don't know why. It's, it's probably part of being a humble Kansan, just our nature. We don't want to pound our chest, but this is something to pound. You should be proud of this. So now moving on to the next question from I Like Pickles Cat. Who is the most underrated player in K-State history? For purposes of discussion, let's say anyone in the Ring of Honor is already appropriately rated. Are we talking football here? One of each, maybe? Oh, let's keep it to football. Okay. Football. Football. The most underrated golfer was. Um, <laughs> I did, boy, that this one required some prep. Uh, hmm. Of all time, that's a Kevin Lockett. Kev, Kevin Lockett's most underrated. Now, granted, he's in the ring of honor. Is he in the ring of honor? I think he is in the ring of honor. But I'm going to say this: he was third team All American. He didn't play extensively in the NFL. But the only other receiver in the history of K-State to even rival what I saw him at as a player was his own son, who broke his records. I, I, I think we get focused on Tyler, and we forget what Kevin was. He was an absolute magician. Every game, he made a, how the F did he do that catch? Every game, we joked about it. It's like, oh, that was his, how did he do that catch? One-handed diving, sliding. I don't even. I can't imagine what he did for his quarterback stats because he just made things happen. I, I now that I think about it, for me, it's easy. It, it's Kevin Lockett. I don't care if he is in the in the ring. I don't think people understand. He was incredible, despite the fact not getting the national or even conference honors uh, recognition that he deserves through the years. He was special. This is probably too recent. And it probably sticks. It's definitely from a quarterback standpoint. I think this is the case. You're answering Jake Rubley. <laughs> uh, different Jake. Okay. Uh, good point. Jake Waters uh, is my guy. Uh, he comes in for 2013, 2014, just two years. Juco transfer. Comes off the tails of what Colin Klein did in those two years. And then really puts together two decent years. You know, it's the it's the most recent highest bowl game K State's been to the Alamo Bowl in two thousand January two thousand fifteen when that was that was the last time K State was in that kind of runner up territory so to speak of of being you know Big Twelve champion um, you know I think they what they were probably third that year mm-hmm. um, going to the Alamo Bowl so that's you know I, I don't think that he gets enough appreciation especially when you consider. You know, the noise from some former K-State media members <laughs> on their preferred quarterback from that era. Um, you know, I think Jake Waters is certainly, you know, and especially if you think 20 years from now, I think that, you know, it'll make a lot more sense me saying Jake Waters. Because I think, you know, you know, eight years removed is pretty pretty soon to say someone's the, the most underrated player of all time. Underappreciated? Or yeah, probably underappreciated, but if, you know, underrated, you know, that was honestly, even like from a recruiting standpoint, that was 
that might be one of the last like big recruiting surprises saying, wow, we pulled off a guy here on signing day. You know, that's, it's been a while it's since you've over Penn state, right? You know, it's been a while since you've had a, a recruiting victory that big. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that that's my answer is Jake waters is at least right now. And especially from the last 10 years is certainly the most underrated player. Am I allowed to say Ty Zimmerman? Does that count? Is, he, under, answer, is he underappreciated? He's under, very underrated? underappreciated. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people understood. Uh, if you go back and look at the Baylor game in which he couldn't play because he was injured, mm-hmm. you saw the difference between yeah. K-State defense with and without him. And it just wasn't having a great free safety. It was a guy that made sure everyone was lined up and on the same page and motivated everyone. He was a coach on the field. It was uh, it was impressive. I'll, I'll I'll follow the rules now, and I'm going to pick Mario Fatafehi, who was in that 19, you know, 97 recruiting class, the junior college recruiting class, and it gets overshadowed by really great players, and you know, Michael Bishop and Jeff Kelly, and you can just go on with that list. And, but Mario gets lost in that. But he was one of the most dominating interior defensive linemen in K State history, and it's it's a hard position to recruit. But I loved him. So from the next question comes from the uh, Fitz's favorite name, uh-huh. Bush and the Hog. I didn't know that was my favorite name, but I like it. <laughs> it definitely is your favorite name. I feel like you've had like a five-minute laughter on this name before. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to know, are we more likely to see the NCAA provide structure and more guidelines to the NIL deals first, or will we see teams put their own structure in place in order to prevent tension in the locker room? I think those are two different questions. I think that, yes, the NCAA needs to provide structure and guidance, but at the same time, you know, the school's putting down – I mean, that's a – you know, when you're talking about the locker room, that's a coach thing. That's not a a department thing or, you know, a greater university thing. That's a coach thing when you get to talking about the locker room. Why would they put structure in place for your own school for NIL? Like, I feel like it can only benefit and help you get – I mean, the the question is about tension saying, like, you know, that's that's going to your donors or, you know – Unassoci- I've got my air quotes out here. Unassociated people who have never, ever, ever done anything to benefit the university's athletic programs or the university as a whole. Those people, you got to go to them saying, hey, you know, you offering uh, Pigel Knack $400,000 to come to the uh, University of Miami, Ohio. Uh, this is a good hypothetical. This you know, good this is a hypothetical. hypothetical. You know, some app that holds your medical crypto. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever that is. Uh, you know, going to those types of people and saying, "Hey, you're you're hurting our our locker room. Maybe could you offer less money to these guys?" I, I don't know. That's such a weird. Proposition. I, here's the problem: is I don't see the NCAA adding structure. I think they're just in total whatever the hell you want to do mode. I think they've just given up. You know, I they're talking about no limit on coaches. I didn't realize that this until last night because I've never seen it articulated. They're also talking about no limit on coaches on the recruiting trail. So Nick Saban can hire 30 assistant coaches and send them all out. I mean, this is just stupid. Or he can hire head high school football coaches of recruits he wants, and they can work as quote-unquote analysts while maintaining their head coaching at a particular school, and there you go. They're scouting and sending kids yeah, directly, they're, they're, too. They're just throwing the gates open here to chaos is what they're doing. Even if you want unlimited coaches, which is just idiotic, um, 
you got to have some restrictions on the number of coaches that can go out recruiting because if you're for the student athletes, these, these kids don't need more pressure, more attention, more distraction from their own lives and academics and current sports status. And that's what they're going to do. It's crazy. They, they've got to maintain some limit to the number of guys that can be on the recruiting trail and interacting with recruits. I mean, there's got to be a law of diminishing returns, though, at a certain point. There's, there's <laughs> dogs. Oh, the dogs. dogs. There's, there's no way that Nick Saban or whoever else can possibly hire 30 assistant coaches to send out on the road to recruit. I mean, how many scouts do NFL teams have or MLB teams even? There's a lot. I get that there's a lot, but... I don't think that you're going to see a return on your investment by sending 30 guys out on the road. Especially there's, with the transfer portal now, too. And as long as there's scholar scholarship and roster limitation numbers, I don't think it really matters how many. I mean, yes, it, it matters. You know, there's going to be a number where, you know, Alabama can have more than K-State. And yes, that's unfair to K-State. But in the grand scheme of things, there's only so many slots for so many kids to play at the scholarship level of Power 5. You know, I, I, there's, there's a certain point where even rich people have to say, we're losing money on this. It's stupid. Yeah. Another thing that Coach Kleiman brought up to me is something I've mentioned on this podcast. The NCAA has, is apparently going to make legal remote offices. So you can have, quote, coaches if you're Kansas State based in Dallas or New Orleans or Orlando or anywhere you might want to recruit. You can have coaches that aren't even coaching your players that can represent you going out to high school games. I mean, just call them scouts at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Call them scouts. Yeah. Just give them the name. Quit calling them coaches. If they're not doing any instruction, right. don't call them a coach. Don't call them an analyst. Call them a scout. Call them a scout. That's exactly what they are. You're right. Next question from KSU number one. What are your thoughts on the impact of the recent Big 12 TV money distribution? I thought it was interesting. I mean, the numbers get skewed because there's only 10 pieces of pie. Can Can I add to this yeah. question about also the Big 12 basketball announcing the staying in Kansas City? I think that maybe that has some relevance to this question. This yeah. He didn't ask that, but I'm going to throw that no, in there as really, well. That's really good. I mean, I think all the new schools will come in and go, Kansas City, what are you doing? And then they'll go to Kansas City and go, oh, I'll get it. Yeah. That's what West Virginia did. Everyone does that. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Um, both TCU fans that have gone. Am I wrong for thinking that Oklahoma City is also fun for a Big 12 tournament? No. Well, I not, enjoyed going. You're not wrong City. about the actual event, but there's no, there just wasn't the kind of buzz about the event in the community. Sure. So, but. I guess Kansas City is restricted to a couple blocks versus Oklahoma City, which is a a fake river. Let's not even talk about their fake river. But it's fun to ride here's a little the, boat here, every once in a while. Here's the deal when it comes to the Big 12 tournament, okay? Yes, Oklahoma City, I was not there for that. But I will tell you that as far as baseball goes, they moved it from Oklahoma City to Texas. And I watched that. Okay, that was not nearly as cool no. Playing in a major league stadium as it was when they played in the double A, you know, triple A, triple A, wherever it was in the minor league stadium. That was not nearly as cool in the major league stadium as it was when it was in a smaller venue. Right. I think the same can be said for for Kansas City. I mean, 
T-Mobile Center is it's not big, right? Comparatively speaking, but you see some of these other conference tournaments. I think. What do that, you mean, like the arena? Yeah, the arena is a perfectly adequate That's arena I mean. for NBA and NHL. Well, you you can sell it out. As opposed to some of these other conference tournament venues, I feel like yeah, you just can't. You just can't do that. I mean, like Pac-12 sure. in Vegas. Yeah, I mean the the interest in basketball in those conferences is just poor. Now the TV money, the the core of the question, I, I find really interesting because this has been said. Everyone indicated that the Big Twelve lost half half of its value by losing Oklahoma and Texas, but once you start boiling things out, you realize that's just a completely a lie. It's not true at all. There might be the perception of that because you've put them on the network TV slot so many times that it's created a inflated value. But if you then put a really competitive game between Cincinnati and Oklahoma State on ABC in the future, it's going to get good ratings if it's a good game. And all of a sudden you go, well, Big 12 ratings haven't been nearly as bad as we thought. Well, no, because you kept giving all the good stuff to two schools, and then you turn around and say, they're the only ones that got good stuff. I mean, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And it's not at all how it is. If you're playing competitive games, entertaining games, and put into a position that be watched on a national basis, people are going to watch you. They just are. It's going to happen with the Big 12 value. Yeah, the amount of money is was great. I don't see it matching that. I mean, to be clear, I don't see it being $21 million, which is half the value. But I also don't see it being $52 million in the future. I think it's going to be in the high 30s. It's going to be a drop, but nothing what was predicted. I think the value of the conference stays really strong. And, and I, I, th- I know that we've talked about – we were just mentioning in, before we ever started recording that I don't see Oklahoma, Texas staying. I think this summer or early fall we'll see a, an exit plan unveiled that a buyout has happened. But I also think that Oklahoma and Texas being in the conference for that one or two years, overlapping with the newcomers, offers them an opportunity to prove their value more so. But also – makes the new rights negotiation even more confusing. I would almost like to have two years without them before the new deal comes. So we can literally say, we didn't have Oklahoma and Texas in 2023, and our ratings didn't drop that much. What are you talking about? If it's competitive and good football, high-quality football, what's honest to God, the Pac-12 and ACC aren't playing, it it's going to have value. I think they will remain, even without OU and Texas, the third highest value conference. That's what I was going to say, too. I think they'll stay the third highest because the ACC does not have a good deal. And the Pac-12 is the Pac-12. They'll never get a good deal. They're probably always going to be fifth, regardless of how good USC can get or Oregon can get. It doesn't matter. That Nobody wants to watch the Pac-12. And they're the filler games for that 9 o'clock central spot. So, but... But I don't see the Big 12's money going down. I think that if you're able to get a new contract and it's the exact same contract as what you've had, I think losing Texas and Oklahoma, you have to see that as a win, just staying the same. Yes, that probably does mean technically your money went down, just inflation and you know the fact that you're not going up and um, you know up in money. But you know if you're able to maintain the status quo. Without lose with losing OU in Texas, you know I th- I think you got to see that as a win. Last question 
of the podcast comes from Go Youper Cat. Along with overseeing the new grant of rights, the next Big 12 commissioner will also negotiate the departure of Oklahoma, Texas, which we've just been talking about. I'm worried the two schools will back channel their influence to set an exit friendly commissioner. It's why I'm leery of the quote unquote in the box candidates like Andrew. I believe that should be Oliver Luck. Oliver Luck. Please tell me why I shouldn't be worried. <laughs> I'd, I'd take his son too. Yeah. Um, All right, Andrew Luck. Colonel Luck or whatever it is, General Luck. Uh, well, I. Oklahoma, Texas are taking part in all the Big 12 meetings still with the newcomers. So there's there are 14 ADs at the table. They have no influence right now. They don't. Texas, it's got to be so weird for Chris Del Conte. And, you know, the latest of the Texas ADs that's come into that room, you know, literally swinging his, not literally, metaphorically swinging his giant, you know what, because they're Texas. Something else if he literally did it. And now he has no real value. He's, he can talk, and but I think everyone in the room is like, "Yeah, screw you, screw you. You want that, and then we don't want it." If the if you're a Big Twelve AD, you want to make them really uncomfortable. You want them to understand that they've turned themselves into outsiders, and they need to pay the buyout in its full amount to get the hell out of the conference. I wouldn't be kind about it in any way. You guys were deceitful rats. That literally, again, it wasn't good enough for Missouri and Nebraska and A&M and Colorado to leave the conference, particularly Missouri, wanted to destroy the conference. Like their fragile egos need to prove that, hey, you're only good because we're here. Screw you, OU in Texas. Yeah, you're great athletically. Texas, you're good and respected around the country only because you're stinking rich. That's it. You're an arrogant country club bunch of I don't I don't even like being around their athletic department people because they just ooze arrogance. And it's almost like we're breaking out of a abusive relationship. And now we're like, yeah, they were kind of heads. They really were hard to deal with. It reminds me if I were to make a comparison, and I know the people that listen to this podcast love my analogy, so I'm gonna do it again. Um this is like you have your I don't wanna say your your ex wife. Okay, and or in this case, let's say the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve case, the ex-husband is Texas. Okay, and she's sitting there with all of her friends, and they are on like a dating app, and they're they're looking for the new commissioner of the conference, and they're swiping yes and they're swiping no, while the ex-husband is in the room right next to them, and she is evaluating who her next boyfriend's going to be that's kind of what this is like and they're like guess what you get to sit here and watch all of this but you know that you'll never ever be with me again but i want you to sit here and have to see who we're going to pick who is going to be in charge of the conference and it's going to help take us to the next level so yeah they're in the room but there's no way they're actually involved in any of the decision making process on a scale from one to ten how was that comparison you're into some weird stuff, Cole. <laughs> I, I started as I started talking. I realized this was not where I wanted it to go, but we ended up there. So no, I'm not worried. Especially if they get if they get all of our luck, you get all of our luck. That's great. And he's going to be around for what maximum of 24 months with Texas and Oklahoma, and a minimum of one or two months after you know media days where they say, yeah, we're going to leave now because we've negotiated a nice little buyout. And K-State and everybody else gets a payday. But what I want to ask is, Fitz, who do you think the most influential athletic directors right now, when you go to those meetings, who they are? Because it's not OU in Texas anymore. No. 
Is it Gene Taylor? Is it Gene's got a big voice. I think Jamie it? Pollard at, at mm-hmm. Iowa State's got a big voice. Kirby Hillcat? Rob Kirby, yeah. Who's at Oklahoma State now? Is it Chad Weiberg? And I know Chad. He's just a little bit more laid back. So I don't see him. I'm trying to place who I don't know who took over TCU and Baylor's AD. Mac Rhodes? Is that right? Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think they're very influential. But it is interesting to see how Castiglione and Del Conte have just kind of disappeared. They don't have value. Interesting, though, that three of those guys either are or have been at K-State at some point. Yeah. Who? Weiberg. Weiberg. Yeah. Hocut. Gene Taylor. There you go. Got it. A little slow there. I wasn't adding Gene in. A little slow there. I think the new Big 12 is going to be a blast. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to feel more like a family. Because you don't have the big player at the table that constantly demands to be honored as the big player. They, I don't think they're they're not even aware that they do this because they're so settled into that as a personality trait as an athletic department. So I'm look, I'm going to miss going to these games. There's no doubt. I mean, Austin's fun. Norman's an easy trip. We're replacing those things with much more difficult trips. Maybe more alluring and getting to go to Provo or Orlando, but more challenging. So in some ways, I'm going to miss them. But what they did is kind of unforgivable. How they went about it is kind of unforgivable. Yes. So excuse my, what is it, schadenfreude, where you get enjoyment out of other people's failure. Excuse while all of us have that feeling towards you as you go to the SEC and find out you're not Texas in the SEC. You're not Oklahoma in the SEC. You're two new schools that they don't give a, a rat's ass about. They just want your TV money. They brought you in for your influence, and you're going to have very little in the conference. Don't try to make you feel that way. But if you're Texas, the only thing that can make you feel that way is obedience to our wishes. They're going to be miserable in the SEC, and I will laugh my ass off. That's it for this week's PowerCat Questions podcast. I don't know if you enjoyed it, but we put two dogs asleep and they're touching butts. I hope you're not doing that with other members of Wabash Station. That's just weird. Thank you for listening to the Power Cat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Power Cat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.